Welcome to the 3ABN Australia Radio book reading program. The Desire of Ages, written by Ellen White, is an inspirational account of the life and ministry of Jesus. What you are about to hear is a dramatized audio version of this book, created by Nancy Hamilton Myers. To download your free copy, visit thedesireofagesproject.com. Listen now as Nancy continues to read from The Desire of Ages. The Desire of Ages, Chapter 13, The Victory Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan now supposes that he has met Jesus on his own ground. The wily foe himself presents words that proceed from the mouth of God. He still appears as an angel of light, and he makes it evident that he is acquainted with the scriptures and understands the import of what is written. As Jesus before used the word of God to sustain his faith, the tempter now uses it to countenance his deception. He claims that he has only been testing the fidelity of Jesus, and he now commends his steadfastness. As the Savior has manifested trust in God, Satan urges him to give still another evidence of his faith. But again, the temptation is prefaced with the insinuation of distrust. If thou be the Son of God. Christ was tempted to answer the if, but he refrained from the slightest acceptance of the doubt. He would not imperil his life in order to give evidence to Satan. The tempter thought to take advantage of Christ's humanity and urge him to presumption. But while Satan can solicit, he cannot compel to sin. He said to Jesus, Cast thyself down, knowing that he could not cast him down, for God would interpose to deliver him. Nor could Satan force Jesus to cast himself down. Unless Christ should consent to temptation, he could not be overcome. Not all the power of earth or hell could force him in the slightest degree to depart from the will of his Father. The tempter can never compel us to do evil. He cannot control minds unless they are yielded to his control. The will must consent. Faith must let go its hold upon Christ before Satan can exercise his power upon us. But every sinful desire we cherish affords him a foothold. Every point in which we fail of meeting the divine standard is an open door by which he can enter to tempt and destroy us. And every failure or defeat on our part, gives occasion for him to reproach Christ. When Satan quoted the promise, 
he shall give his angels charge over thee. He omitted the words to keep thee in all thy ways, that is, in all the ways of God's choosing. Jesus refused to go outside the path of obedience. While manifesting perfect trust in his Father, he would not place himself unbidden in a position that would necessitate the interposition of his Father to save him from death. He would not force providence to come to his rescue and thus fail of giving man an example of trust and submission. Thus Jesus declared to Satan, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. These words were spoken by Moses to the children of Israel when they thirsted in the desert and demanded that Moses should give them water, exclaiming, Is the Lord among us or not? God had wrought marvelously for them, yet in trouble they doubted him and demanded evidence that he was with them. In their unbelief, they sought to put him to the test. And Satan was urging Christ to do the same thing. God had already testified that Jesus was his son, and now to ask for proof that he was the son of God would be putting God's word to the test, tempting him. And the same would be true of asking for that which God had not promised. It would manifest distrust and be really proving or tempting him. We should not present our petitions to God to prove whether he will fulfill his word, but because he will fulfill it. Not to prove that he loves us, but because he loves us. Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But faith is in no sense allied to presumption. Only he who has true faith is secure against presumption. For presumption is Satan's counterfeit of faith. Faith claims God's promises and brings forth fruit in obedience. Presumption also claims the promises, but uses them as Satan did to excuse transgression. Faith would have led our first parents to trust the love of God and to obey his commands. Presumption led them to transgress his law believing that his great love would save them from the consequence of their sin. It is not faith that claims the favor of heaven without complying with the conditions on which mercy is to be granted. Genuine faith has its foundation in the promises and provisions of the scriptures. Often when Satan has failed of exciting distrust, he succeeds in leading us to presumption. If he can cause us to place ourselves unnecessarily in the way of temptation, he knows that the victory is his. God will preserve all who walk in the path of obedience, but to depart from it is to venture on Satan's ground. There we are sure to fall. The Savior has bidden us, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Meditation and prayer would keep us from rushing unbidden into the way of danger, and thus we should be saved from many a defeat. Yet we should not lose courage when assailed by temptation, 
Often when placed in a trying situation, we doubt that the Spirit of God has been leading us. But it was the Spirit's leading that brought Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. When God brings us into trial, He has a purpose to accomplish for our good. Jesus did not presume on God's promises by going unbidden into temptation. Neither did he give up to despondency when temptation came upon him, nor should we. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. He says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Jesus was victor in the second temptation, and now Satan manifests himself in his true character. But he does not appear as a hideous monster with cloven feet and bat's wings. He is a mighty angel, though fallen. He avows himself the leader of rebellion and the god of this world. Placing Jesus upon a high mountain, Satan caused the kingdoms of the world in all their glory to pass in panoramic view before him. The sunlight lay on templed cities, marble palaces, fertile fields, and fruit-laden vineyards. The traces of evil were hidden. The eyes of Jesus, so lately greeted by gloom and desolation, now gazed upon a scene of unsurpassed loveliness and prosperity. Then the tempter's voice was heard, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If therefore thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Christ's mission could be fulfilled only through suffering. Before him was a life of sorrow, hardship and conflict, and an ignominious death. He must bear the sins of the whole world. He must endure separation from his Father's love. Now the tempter offered to yield up the power he had usurped, Christ might deliver himself from the dreadful future by acknowledging the supremacy of Satan. But to do this was to yield the victory in the great controversy. It was in seeking to exalt himself above the Son of God that Satan had sinned in heaven. Should he prevail now, it would be the triumph of rebellion. When Satan declared to Christ, The kingdom and glory of the world are delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. He stated what was true only in part, and he declared it to serve his own purpose of deception. Satan's dominion was that wrested from Adam, but Adam was the vicegenerate of the Creator. His was not an independent rule. The earth is God's, and he has committed all things to his Son. Adam was to reign subject to Christ. When Adam betrayed his sovereignty into Satan's hands, Christ still remained the rightful king. Thus the Lord had said to King Nebuchadnezzar, The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will.
Satan can exercise his usurped authority only as God permits. When the tempter offered to Christ the kingdom and glory of the world, he was proposing that Christ should yield up the real kingship of the world and hold dominion subject to Satan. This was the same dominion upon which the hopes of the Jews were set. They desired the kingdom of this world. If Christ had consented to offer them such a kingdom, they would gladly have received him. But the curse of sin, with all its woe, rested upon it. Christ declared to the tempter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. By the one who had revolted in heaven, the kingdoms of this world were offered Christ to buy his homage to the principles of evil. But he would not be bought. He had come to establish a kingdom of righteousness, and he would not abandon his purpose. With the same temptation, Satan approaches men, and here he has better success than with Christ. To men he offers the kingdom of this world on condition that they will acknowledge his supremacy. He requires that they sacrifice integrity, disregard conscience, indulge selfishness. Christ bids them seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But Satan walks by their side and says, Whatever may be true in regard to life eternal, in order to make a success in this world, you must serve me. I hold your welfare in my hands. I can give you riches, pleasures, honor, and happiness. Hearken to my counsel. Do not allow yourself to be carried away with whimsical notions of honesty or self-sacrifice. I will prepare the way before you. Thus multitudes are deceived. They consent to live for the service of self, and Satan is satisfied. While he allures them with the hope of worldly dominion, he gains dominion over the soul. But he offers that which is not his to bestow, and which is soon to be wrested from him. In return, he beguiles them of their title to the inheritance of the sons of God. Satan had questioned whether Jesus was the Son of God. In his summary dismissal, he had proof that he could not gainsay. Divinity flashed through humanity. Satan had no power to resist the command. Writhing with humiliation and rage, he was forced to withdraw from the presence of the world's Redeemer. Christ's victory was as complete as had been the failure of Adam. So we may resist temptation and force Satan to depart from us. Jesus gained the victory through submission and faith in God. And by the Apostle he says to us, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. We cannot save ourselves from the tempter's power. He has conquered humanity, and when we try to stand in our own strength, 
we shall become a prey to his devices. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Satan trembles and flees before the weakest soul who finds refuge in that mighty name. After the foe had departed, Jesus fell exhausted to the earth with the pallor of death upon his face. The angels of heaven had watched the conflict, beholding their loved commander as he passed through inexpressible suffering to make a way of escape for us. He had endured the test greater than we shall ever be called to endure. The angels now ministered to the Son of God as he lay like one dying. He was strengthened with food, comforted with the message of his Father's love and the assurance that all heaven triumphed in his victory. Warming to life again, his great heart goes out in sympathy for man and he goes forth to complete the work he has begun, to rest not until the foe is vanquished and our fallen race redeemed. Never can the cost of our redemption be realized until the redeemed shall stand with the Redeemer before the throne of God. Then as the glories of the eternal home burst upon our enraptured senses, we shall remember that Jesus left all this for us that he not only became an exile from the heavenly courts, but for us took the risk of failure and eternal loss. Then we shall cast our crowns at his feet and raise the song, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Join us next time as Nancy Hamilton Myers continues her dramatized audiobook, The Desire of Ages, written by Ellen G. White. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.